Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight, you are listening to episode 138, and the episode is the top five black comedy movies. We, last week in episode 137, covered the top five comedy films of the 1990s, and Frank, how do you feel about the fact that it is the number one episode in terms of first week downloads we've ever had, that that comedy episode? I think that's some fucking sabermetrics bullshit just trying to get me get me annoyed i mean first week downloads whatever <laughs> that's like the team that's in first place after week two i mean you know you, you gotta, i mean you, after week two after after three and a half years <laughs> you gotta you, you gotta see how things play out in the long run right gotcha yeah it's true maybe we'll never get another download on that episode although i mean i really enjoyed doing that down that episode so yeah it was good um good uh, yeah i enjoyed it and thank you everybody for um all the new downloads uh yeah we've been doing very well recently so any new listeners welcome uh hopefully uh, you have enough to go through in the archives and you keep listening to new episodes so uh before we get into this episode tonight frank uh, i just wanted to quickly everybody know next week we will be back with uh, continuing the 70s horror episodes, we will be covering the top five horror episodes of 1971. And then we will be taking our break in the very first week of March and then be back with the top five most disgusting movies. Disturbing, 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 disturbing. disturbing. Yeah. And that would be a good list, though. The t- top five most disgusting, disgusting movies. Yeah. I mean, for you, maybe. I mean, if you ever uh, wanted to see the Garbage Pail Kids movie on a podcast, then. <laughs> That would be your chance. It's okay. Let me write it down. Um, and then we will be back the week after that. We are going to go back to a concept that we did a couple of years ago where we covered, oh, now I'm forgetting. Was it uh, 1970 to 75, I think, the Oscars? We kind of went back through the list and reevaluated. I thought it was 76 to 81 it might or something like that, where we did the latter half of the 70s. We might have been. It might have been. Um, I don't remember. But anyway, we're flat circles, so whatever. (laughs) Yes. So we are going to be covering something I've been wanting to do for a long time, which is the Oscars that basically covering the years in 1990 to 1995, particularly wanting to talk about the films in 1994 and reevaluating those Oscars, uh, which is the year that Forrest Gump won and Pulp Fiction was nominated for a number of awards. But uh, looking through it and kind of like previewing it, really interesting five years in terms of the oscars and then we'll be finishing up that month with the top five horror films in 1972 so just wanted to preview what's coming up over the course of the next month and uh yeah and then we'll be continuing to do the spin chagrin which is weekly your next uh category that you have to fulfill this coming tuesday is Torture porn. Torture porn. Foreign, 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 foreign torture porn. porn. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, that, that's my fault. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was funny at the time, and then it's probably not at all. I'm actually, I'm, I don't know what the word, not nervous, but um, there's a movie that I've been holding off on watching for over a year now um that i own on dvd that i don't know why i can't remember like what attracted me to buy it but then i realized like this is not something i want to watch but it perfectly fits this category so now i'm going to watch it so 
Yeah. And it's not a Serbian film, which I will never watch. Gotcha. Uh, and then, as always, our sister podcast, uh, Best 30 Minutes, uh, just had a new episode come up today where we discussed ghost stories. Um, uh, both Frank and I like uh, discussed like our uh, ghost stories from the past 20 years, and we uh, also talked about uh, a joint uh, ghost experience in terms of the piss ghost that used to haunt the bar that we used to frequent before um the pandemic came along so uh so you can go listen to that all right frank let's get into this so let's do it top five black comedy movies uh was there anything on the that was not on this top five that you had considered putting on um i'm trying to think of that earlier today because i made this list a while ago um i don't know no i'm gonna say no yeah. I pretty much had this list. Four of the five movies on this list I had immediately um as soon as we talked about the topic. And then the one it was like maybe in a couple hours later, I was like, right, like I forgot about that movie, and then that was on there. Mm-hmm. And then that was the list. So okay. <clears throat> plus I there wasn't I think we talked about this like three months ago or four months ago or something like that one night on a Saturday, like just looking at nineties comedy and then well, that's where about. I mean that's where a lot of the list came from because mm-hmm. four of these five movies I think are '90s movies. They are, um, and then the fifth movie was a movie that I saw several years ago that I really enjoyed, um, and was like, oh well, you know that fits that fits the category, so I'm just going to put it on there. Yeah. Um, let me look actually at my '90s list and see if there was anything else. Um, Nope. My 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 comedy whatever knowledge is 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 shallow. <laughs> so um so some things we've already like talked about before, right? Like so that are uh coming to America, like there's Eddie Murphy movies that we've talked about yeah. um previously on the podcast. Uh there are some things I wanted to bring up to you though. And we talked about Cooley High. Um, do you consider Cooley High a comedy? I mean, most people. I mean, I guess do. it's, it's, a, it's a comedy is, drama, just as much a comedy as like some of the other movies on this list. So. Sure. Um, I love Cooley High, but yeah, here's a movie that I, I actually I have not watched in quite a while, but I loved growing up. But I don't know if you can would consider consider it a a a black comedy. Is a uh, white man can't jump. I love that as a kid, but I don't know if that. Yeah, I, I liked White Man Can't Jump either. I don't know. I didn't really even think of it, honestly. I really enjoyed that movie when I was um. <clears throat> man, when did I see that? Like maybe fifteen or sixteen, I guess. I think yeah, would have been I, when it came out. Maybe a little older than that. Feels to me like it got kind of like memed to hell a little bit in some ways, like um, and maybe like overlooked for some reason or another i have no idea but i th- i really liked it a lot um but yeah uh yeah again like as soon as you brought up this topic immediately four of these movies were like yeah that's yeah. yeah i get it all right you want to jump in the list then yeah all right <clears throat> so no, no foreplay tonight <laughs> 
All right. So number five on your list is CB4 from 1993. It is directed by Tamara Davis. Stars Chris Rock, Alan Payne, Deezer D, Chris Elliott, Phil Hartman, Charlie Murphy. It has a 52% from critics and a 61% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. You want to tell us a little bit about the movie and why you put it on the list? Uh, so all of our our group of friends, for the most part, were um, really into hip hop. <clears throat> pretty early on in our lives um and as a kid like i was super into like nwa and um public enemy and when this movie came out um it kind of struck a chord with me so it's it's basically a um a, a mockumentary of an nwa-esque uh rap group called um cb4 which stands for cell block four um rock is plays a character who goes by the name of dj gusto um and gusto is the name of this crime lord that kind of um rules over the city of Lokach, uh, which is where the characters live um and rock's character inadvertently gets uh gusto imprisoned so he takes the moniker and they form basically an nwa style um uh, rap group um the funny thing about well the odd thing about this movie is when i saw this movie as a kid i thought this movie was hilarious mm-hmm. and it's a really super on point almost homage to the hip-hop memes of like the early gangster rap era mm-hmm. as well as some other things that were going on in terms of you know um other genres of music but also like socio-political issues like the rodney king beatings and um just the general like uproar from like the moral moral majority type you know tipper gore type like banning music because it had glorified violence or sex or had excessive profanity the weird thing is is in, in in most mockumentaries so you look at something like um I actually look at this movie as more akin to something like a mighty wind Mm. where it's a comedy at its core, but at the same time, the music is very much like straight out of low cash. While like the the title itself is funny when you listen to the lyrics, I mean, it's, it's a pretty straightforward, like sort of riff on something like straight out of Compton, you know, Mm. there's not, there's not really any jokes in the song except for the fact that it's, it's that song taken to almost like this illogical extreme of terms of like profanity and sexual bravado. Um, and that's what a lot of this movie is. It's, it's so we, we saw straight out of Compton the weekend that it opened in what was that? 2016. I think that movie came out and we're both moderately disappointed by it because it's, it, it's just a really like trite telling of a story i think yeah um and the dialogue is so poorly written at times that it verges on being a comedy and that's kind of what this movie feels like um and there's definitely jokes in it you know um there's it's it's early 90s so there's humor at the expense of um mostly gays um but also and something that becomes a theme later on in, or in a couple of these other movies, 
really like pointed attacks at this sort of like black pride um like african pride that i'm really surprised like i i didn't do any research and i don't know if you looked into it but i'm really surprised that it's so like pointedly negative towards that idea of wanting to know your, your heritage and like the thought of like going back to africa or at least you know not using profanity and being respectful to women and that's really mocked a lot in um this movie and another movie well the next movie uh so i yeah. thought that was really interesting um i still enjoyed watching this movie but i didn't really find it funny anymore um and i think that i think a lot of like the i think a lot of the gay jokes fell really like flat to me where i probably thought that was really funny when i was a kid like i don't didn't really find it funny this time um and i also thought that it kind of lost its like narrative thread several times and became more of like well we, we talked about this when we talked about the sandler uh comedies last week on the podcast where this felt like more of a series of loosely interconnected sketches that you would see on something like um living color or saturday night live um with you know excessive profanity and some nudity and whatever that as opposed to being like a real movie telling the story of like this group of people um but there's like the um i can't remember the character's name the one the the militant guy that basically forms his own like uh sort of public enemy-esque baba ak well baba ak is the one that influences i, I can't remember the oh, fuck is mc gusto there's Gusto, the guy that, Dead Mike, and Stab. Yeah, Dead, Dead Mike. Yeah, Dead Dead Mike, where he's like, I'm black, y'all, I'm black, y'all, I'm yeah, black, yeah, yeah, black uh -huh. and I'm black, y'all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which still made me laugh really hard, um, just because of how, like, almost, like, non-tongue-in-cheek it is, but still just, like, this perfect parody. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's, there's send-up of things like uh, CNC Music Factory they make fun of, um, sort of the white white appropriation of black culture of like sure um the chris elliott character who's this obvious you know like film school nerd that just is somehow empowered by this you know black music right that wants to make his documentary about his love for for cb4 um and then a lot of stuff that again is just really on point for the time like you like again sh straight out of low cash isn't necessarily a parody song like it's not like making jokes it's just well, it, it it is in only in the sense that it's turned up to 11 right right again it's it, it's an illogical extreme of it's 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 honestly like i i didn't find this movie nowadays like particularly laugh out loud funny whatsoever but i did enjoy the songs because yeah. of just how outrageous they are well because in terms of the lyrical content sweat from my balls is just right. uh like an extrapolation on something like me so horny yeah where it's this like this the sexual conquest song or um fuck what's that ghetto boy song um i can't remember what the ghetto boy song is there, there, there there's a ghetto boy song about like like there someone filleting like mm -hmm. him like being filleted by like a groupie and that's basically yeah. like sweat for my balls is 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 that song yeah um, and, and, and i find it like to be a sent up send up of um a lot of two lies crew stuff yeah yeah, yeah exactly what well, yeah. i said like me so horny yeah yeah um, and primarily 
because it's 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 a lot of the a lot both of those songs even straight out low cash is often because i did copy down the lyric some of the lyrics of it i copy and paste them into the sheet for tonight but they're making fun of how kind of overtly sexual and gross sure the, you know that those uh bands were early on right and it's it's ab it's it's sexual braggadocio to an illogical extreme mixed with like abject like violence mostly. yes and but but you're right there's a love of the music despite all that right they're they're not making fun of like you watch something like i don't know like walk what, what's that walk hard or whatever or uh, i don't know Dewey, there, there's Dewey, the dewey cox story yeah there's plenty mm -hmm. of comedies that make fun of like music where the the songs are jokes mm-hmm um and like in this and again like in something like a mighty wind which is why i think that's that's a good comparison even though they're completely different that music in a mighty wind is legitimately stuff that you could imagine hearing in like you know the mm -hmm. 50s or 60s on the radio um like that folk like folksy whatever like jangly guitar shit um and this is something where if, if you heard sweat from my balls in 1992 you know it's like not yeah yeah it wouldn't be outside the realm of feasibility right. that, that it's would not be like, that far removed right. right whereas you know the um fuck i can't remember what the uh the the cnc music factory parody is um right. yeah which is hilarious like yeah. and I, yeah. I guess it's kind of a combination of the cnc music factory and hammer um with mm -hmm. the hammer dance um the hammer pants although i guess they, they make fun of that too right they do um And then sort of like there's like digs at things like like heavy d and diggable planets like stuff that was more i guess like commercially acceptable hip-hop um outside of like the gangster rap like the start of the gangster rap that no one could listen to really on the radio without it being like heavily edited um or you mostly just had to like listen to it because for us i don't know how it was for you it would be somebody would get a tape from like an older sibling and we would listen to that stuff like in secret, you know, on the bus or waiting for, you know, cause in priests, like before school started in middle school, we had to sit in the gym on the bleachers. Mm -hmm. And so somebody would have like, Oh, like my, my brother got this two live crew album. Like, listen to this. And you know, it was yeah. this like secret thing that you couldn't really um talk about and then as like we got older especially where i lived like because we all had to drive to school it was stuff that you listen to in the morning like driving to school so i don't know yeah. I, I, um, I i i got all that through um like the guy that was kind of like acted as like my older brother for a number of years eddie simmons um he um he was the one that introduced me besides like you know what i would hear on the radio maybe or see on mtv or something he's the one that introduced me to hip-hop in general and so i don't think he started with like two live crew and stuff like that like he started with other stuff because i was still very young um i was like nine or ten but it wasn't long before like he was like having me listen to like shit like two live crew and nwa yeah. and so i was probably listening to that stuff by 89 i would think you know 89 early 90 yeah i heard um what's the two life crew album nasty as they want to be or something like that is that what it's called i believe that's correct i haven't listened to that album um 30 years now i heard that in 4-h camp in like seventh grade or something mm -hmm. like that like like in the dorms you know or whatever while 
because we weren't really like that supervised so we'd listen to it like oh listen to this oh yeah see um, the first thing i actually ever heard was live in concert as opposed to um um which was a lot of the stuff from as nasty as they want to be but that's the yeah. first album i heard of theirs um so anyway so that that's what cb4 is to me is it's like a really nice nostalgic callback to that time and that feeling of like because i remember reading newsweek um a newsweek article because my grandmother subscribed to newsweek so i would just read it on the weekends um because she would read it and then she would give it to my parents and they would take it home and read it and i would like end up reading it too really long article about like the ghetto boys and nwa and two live crew and like all that shit um and really kind of piquing my interest and then like i said like you know surreptitiously like listening to this music um that was sort of outside the realm of what you were hearing on like your mtv raps um so and i think the cb4 kind of captures in a ridiculous way like the feeling of that era um and it's also funny and i, I was i was thinking about this this is again i meant to look this up so i don't know if you're like you said you didn't really research these things like super hard but the opening of the movie is um iced tea it's iced tea uh flavor flav ice cube holly berry ice cube uh, yep shack talking about cb4 like mm -hmm. mockumentary style yeah and it ranges from mm -hmm. ice tea like all this hyperbole about how he was afraid of cb4 and how can he like be hard anymore when he's come up against them because no one can be as hard as cb4 <laughs> right like this ridiculous like rant of like hyperbole to flavor flay be flavor flay basically being like yeah they were perpetrating a fraud um and I was wondering if that was sort of maybe a reference to NWA itself in the sense that, like, you know, Eze was legitimately, like, a drug dealer mm -hmm. who used the money that he got from, like, selling drugs to basically fund his band to somebody like Dre, you know, who was just a guy that, like, loved making music and loved making beats. Right. And by association, you know, got in with, like, that group and... So I was just curious if, like, there's something to that where it was, like, maybe rumors or talking about, like, rappers that would act, you know, and I guess, I guess I don't know if that had happened yet. Like, had Hammer done his, like, like gangster rap turn at that point from, like, Prey no, to no, Punch no, in no, a Bump? No, and, no. Because um, um, all those dudes did that, like, um, fucking, what's his name, uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot, like, the started doing like gangster rap shit with like put him on the glass and i mean i guess it's like just his normal over but yeah i mean no ice but, and hammer and yeah. crisscross like all trying to i mean the whatever. the the nwa broke up in 91 so like i mean this is two years after that like and immediately when they broke up like the bullshit started like of like easy's claims about them being weak you know and right. uh, like so i mean I want to say that the damn, um, oh God, what was it? Like, I, cause I know like easy, like accused him like right away, like of Dre of being homosexual and right. to, like, you know, um, and I think that photo like started making rounds, like the one of like him and like, yeah, the, the, like, like the, 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 the glamour shot. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so well, that was in, um, what's, what's that easy video? It's, uh, the yo Dre, <laughs> boy, you should have known by now. Easy does it. Real, yeah, real yeah. Compton City G's um, yeah. is that yeah. that song, um, where that's like you know the overriding theme of that song is basically that 
Dr. Dre is a fraud and a homosexual. Right. Um, and then Dre Day after that to kind of counteract the. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just, I, I, I don't know. Like, I was thinking, like, maybe because the ultimate, the ultimate moral of <clears throat> CB4 is you should just be yourself. Like, there's nothing wrong with like being who you are and still, like, whatever, like, them making music and being successful right. and not pretending to be or not mattering that that's not actually what they are in real life because the music is still popular so i don't know um but yeah it's it's a entertaining movie good small performance by phil hartman as a unscrupulous politician who's using the profanity and sex of right. straight out of low cash uh, straight out of low cash, crazy motherfucker named Gusto. Um, yeah, no, I think the, I, I, like I said, to, nowadays I think I laughed at it more when I was younger, but um, it's yeah, still it was, it's still entertaining. It's just not like laugh out loud funny. Yeah, it was hilarious when I was fifteen. It was just yeah. a nice nostalgic, mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. kind of distraction at this point. So what's yeah. why it's number five on the list? Sure. I think it has the least to say, and I think that it says it in the most obvious way. Like it, it, it feels the most like a Saturday Night Live alum sketch comedy from the early '90s. If that Absolutely. makes sense, yeah. I mean, and which is exactly what it is, but yeah, right, yeah, and certainly yeah. not surprising that you have three. This is just three, yeah, three, three alum. You know, I mean, um, in the movie either. Yeah, that's true. All right, so number four on your list is another kind of send-up satire. Uh, this is "Don't Be a Menace to South Central While You're Drinking the Juice." Your juice in the hood, um, often just shortened to "Don't Be a Menace." From 1996, it is directed by Paris Barclay. It stars stars Sean Sean and Marlon Wayans, Tracy Sherelle Jones, Chris Spencer, and Sully McCullough. It has a 31% from critics and an 80% from audiences. Yeah. On Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Um, it so was yeah. maligned. I, I remember it being maligned when it came out. Like it still largely is by like even more recent critics. So yeah. yeah. Um so very similar to CB4, except instead of being a send-up of the music industry, it's a send-up of just kind of that weird like concentration of um gang gang related movies from from the early 90s so dead presidents boys in the hood um juice uh menace to society um colors uh really just like yeah new jack city there so many things that it takes little elements from um but basically to me much more of a straight straight comedy but again one of those movies where it's very clearly less about the narrative of the movie and more about just moving from one idea of a sketch to another so and not surprisingly you know because um starring and directed by or um filled with the entire wayans clan for the most part um it sort of pulls from again that feel of things like in living color and saturday night live and mad tv uh so it's Sean Wayans that's the star, right? Yes. Uh, Sean Wayans is a young kid who's basically sent to live with his father 
who is a child that's like younger than him uh which is one of the central jokes of the movie that his dad is like um at least appears to be several years younger than he is and claims to be 18 years old yes um, and, and, and is so much it is like obviously doing like the the dwarf type thing where he's yeah. like like on his knees like acting but fucking yeah it's hysterical uh so wayans has a group of friends um that he hangs out with uh he's trying to acclimate himself to life living with his father and learning these life lessons and that that another one of the things i find hilarious about the movie is that when you think that the father's going to give him like like the life lesson like you know you got to treat one with respect and you know stay out of trouble and don't drink it's like always the complete opposite of that where nah you got to get fucked up or not yeah never use a condom you need to fuck a raw condoms don't feel good at all like like all kinds of just these hilarious moments where they're like bonding together over the complete worst advice right uh the basic premise is that he um ends up kind of falling for this this woman who's kind of known as the like the community um whore i guess ho uh, who has children with multiple men, including one like very Korean child. Um, and her ex is, is this local gangster that um, the way Wayne's character runs afoul of because he's you know sleeping with uh, his baby mama. Wayne's character, remember, is called Ashtray. Ashtray, right. Because his name is Trey. No, his name is... is the name is Ashtray. Right. <laughs> oh man um i mean i'm assuming they're making fun of the idea that so many characters in different movies are called trey in some way is my guess maybe yeah i don't know i don't i'm not gonna um risk trying to guess <laughs> um so yeah so that's it i mean it's just it's again like a send-up there's the paraplegic character you know the guy that was like wounded through gang violence that can never walk again but that's a joke and um there's the again like the mockery of the guy that the friend that's sort of the back to africa um like black pride character that won't date black women he only has sex with like fuck what do they call them white white trash bitches or what i guess in the movie um which actually was maybe the thing in the movie I found the most uncomfortable because it was so like it almost felt like super racist to me and I guess maybe it is kind of racist but it's like I don't know I mean I guess playing into that stereotype um but just really weird and again like I don't I don't know enough of like obviously we grew up during that time period but I'm just not familiar with like why isn't there a joke is this the movie no it's in the next movie where there's kind of like it's not even a joke because it's really like mean-spirited about a girl wanting to go to howard university i think or something like that or southern tech and the father being all angry because he doesn't want her to go to like a historically black college he wants her to go to like quote-unquote real college and it's sort of that idea here where it's like i don't know maybe there was like this backlash against people like trying to know their heritage or not like sort of embracing what was around them in the moment and i don't know again i don't 
have yeah, enough right. qualification to speak yeah. on like the black experience to guess yeah. where that comes from but from an outside perspective sort of and not really noticing that when i because i saw every single one of these movies in its initial release in the theater or very shortly thereafter um i never even like picked up on that in this before i just thought right. it was funny i guess when i was younger but like now it just sort of makes me uncomfortable um the only thing i know just from listening and studying hip-hop in my life that i might be able to speak to that now that i think about it is some of the side-eyeing that i would read about at the time about people like krs um in the early and particularly mid 90s while krs obviously is like this icon in the industry that's like well respected because of his hard line socially conscious political stances and some of his uh respect for people like marcus garvey and and stuff like that like he was kind of kept at a distance from the mainstream and this is something i definitely don't want to speak to necessarily but certainly these record companies were hiring things that were more and, and promoting things more along the lines of gangster rap as opposed to socially conscious and politically conscious rap yeah. um and so they, those artists, you know, were kind of like pushed to the side a bit more. And but even with I know within the community were kind of like, oh, that's like positive rap. And that was kind of its own thing. And some people just were like, fuck that. Like, I'm I want to listen to this stuff. And yeah. there was like a divide between like the kind of gangster rap positive rap like community and stuff like that um and that's the most i can probably speak to anything like that <clears throat> it's just weird though because like i don't really remember i mean i thought some of that stuff was lame but like i still liked um like arrested development and yeah um like diggable planets and I don't know. I mean, there was plenty of stuff that was tribe. not... Tribe was positive. Yeah, Pop, Tribe yeah. Called Quest. Like, yeah. there was plenty of stuff that was not necessarily, like, hardcore, you hmm. know. Sure. And some of that hardcore rap, so the hardcore rap stuff was just, like, terrible and laughable, too. Sure. Um, but anyway, so... Don't Be a Menace made me laugh <laughs> this time. Um, again, I felt a lot of it I'm not a fan of of comedies that are I can't say I'm not a fan. I I prefer comedies to be a movie with a story as opposed to again like a series of interconnected sketches. Um so when a movie is like that, I tend to kind of lose interest sometimes, especially if like a segment doesn't necessarily work because I sort of feel like it breaks up the flow of what I'm watching. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not a huge fan of sketch comedy necessarily anyway. Um, although when I was a kid, I was a huge fan of sketch comedy, so it might be why like I liked this movie so much uh, when it came out. Um, but I think it's a really good send up of those movies, like the general tropes of the guy trying to get out of the hood and his friends bringing him down and getting caught up with like a like running afoul of a gangster and the trials and tribulations of like falling in love with a woman that has kids and getting her pregnant and just all the stuff that kind of happens in you know the random like shooting inside the um that's that's this movie that has the scene in the korean um it is 
Korean convenience store. Yeah, just absolutely ridiculous. Um, just portrayals of things that happen in other movies. You know, I guess like I guess that's more of a play on something like a do the right thing kind of. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny and I still enjoyed watching it. Um, enough like this time. Yeah, um, I forgot to mention, too, that Bernie Mac does make a a brief appearance in this, and I should mention that because Bernie Mac is in three of these movies. Um, <clears throat> he plays um, Officer Self-Hatred, um, <clears throat> yeah. uh, which I'm, I'm positive is a send-up of the guy, the officer in Boys in the Hood. Um, yeah, I think that's right. But... Yeah, a couple of things. I like this movie. I I I do not know how to talk about this movie because I don't know how to talk about the things I laughed at, which uh, which are making fun of these kind of stereotypes of these movies about black culture, and so it's a really complicated thing to talk about. But things I definitely laughed at is the Vivica A. Fox cameo at the very beginning, where. Ashtray asks her, "Will I see you again?" And she says, "You know, sorry, there's no positive black females in, right. in these movies, um, and that's the last time you see her." Um, I thought that's really funny. The other thing that made me laugh every single time in this movie it was a running gag: is every single time somebody pulls out a gun, they sit there and say, "Break yourself, fool!" <laughs> <laughs> and um. Yeah, that. well, that's so. My my favorite part of the movie is um, is the Loke dog character, like the mm-hmm. the best friend. That's the yeah, the guy that's in the life and just the most ridiculous like mockery of something like I guess like a combination of like Coolio and Flavor Flav sort of like mashed into uh-huh. one thing. Um, with the way that he like juts out his jaw when he talks, and then the ridiculous um shit that's like the what is it like a pacifier and a tv antenna and a, <laughs> right. um whatever like all in his um in his in his lokes and just like high you know and doing drugs constantly but yeah just that send up of the like the best friend who's like has like a really good heart but it's just like stuck in the life of like being you know whatever like a drug dealer and a a gangster and um some really funny scenes uh, another scene that i don't know like how you like because it makes me laugh it made me laugh really hard this time but when he um he takes the girl back so he lives in a what is it a a u.s mail truck is that right or a fedex truck or something yeah. uh-huh. that he's like converted into a home and he takes this girl back and she's like oh i i get a little crazy he's like oh i love crazy baby and then she basically turns into um like a cat person kind of right. <laughs> just like destroying him but um that scene yeah. made me laugh really hard yeah um yeah there, there's a number of things that are really really funny in this and like a lot of like just little tiny things um that just are just stupid and maybe like sophomore but like are still like still kind of make me chuckle like yeah um throughout and again it's like so the I didn't do this on purpose, but I think it's um, I think it's appropriate to talk about these two movies together because it's something where if you don't know what it's making fun of, I think it's probably yeah. a lot less funny because there's no point of reference to some of these jokes. 
Yeah. I mean, again, like if you if you didn't grow up and you didn't know who CNC Music Factory is, mm-hmm. there's almost like no relevance to that character in, in CB4, or like that joke in CB4. Um, and if you don't understand like um, like Dead Presidents, if you don't understand Dead Presidents. Oh, sure. The, the grandmother popping out of the garbage mm-hmm. can with the face paint on. <laughs> yes. Like during the drive by. It's like it makes right. no sense whatsoever, but it's hilarious in context. Like if you understand that it's, I guess, I, I guess, what is that? That would be Dead Presidents and Boys in the Hood, maybe, or uh, Menace to Society, like the combined together, and it's like just really funny. Except yeah, if you yeah. don't like know, like why, like why does this woman have, you know, like raccoon face paint on, basically, like a white face with, or I guess it's like a skull face paint, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, white face with like the black eye sockets, but it's you know, oh, yeah, it's maybe like, it would be funny anyway. Th- th- there's some funny stuff like in the movie with cra- like the, the crazy legs character, right? The one who gets paralyzed, um, through a drive by, but it's like also it's like it's making fun of that character in Boys in the Hood, right? Exactly, you know, or, or, or even just the idea of like the, the person who has these aspirations to like leave. Dance. Yeah, or to like somehow like figure out a way to like leave their 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 circumstances or, or better their circumstances, and they're the ones that get you know um, killed right. or injured in some way. It's like it's that it's making fun of that kind of you know uh, trope, I guess. And the doctor um, says I'll never walk again, but you haven't walked in six years. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's so yeah. I, I I I really enjoy. I I laughed much more at this than I did see before. Um in 2022 um where so let me ask you this question because i i this is again something i was thinking about earlier today because i feel the same way do you think it's because there's more universal relevance to movie parodies as opposed to music parodies yes because the stuff that like those the movies that it's parodying still like most of those movies still feel like relatively fresh or at least like relevant today whereas i'm not going to say that you know straight out of compton or what fear of a black planet or anything isn't relevant today but it's very much solely of that time as opposed to you know yeah i think this is a satire because i mean even after this movie movies were still being made that this movie is parroting yeah. Where I think that the music, like CB4 was parrying the music of the previous five years and doesn't go beyond that. Although I will argue the CB4 feels like a parody of that straight out of Compton movie <laughs> that was that we want to go see in the theaters because it's miss, so yeah. bad. Like, um, it's just so trite. Uh, but, but yeah, like, it, it, what it is is it it's yeah the parody is still relevant in don't be a menace even to this day like i think i agree some of the same tropes are still have still been present at least more recently um oh the other thing that i think is really funny is um and again it's a i guess a parody of that like uplifting message thing that happens in like a lot of um a lot of these movies is uh the marlon wayans as a mailman like anytime someone's having like a an uplifting conversation, will pop in a window and be like, "Message." Oh yeah, Just yeah. To, when he did, yeah, right. Uh-huh. 
Keenan Ivory, right? Yeah, Keenan Ivory. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah, just really. Yeah, that's that's a really funny bit. Um, yeah, because that's that that's where so that's where the title of the movie comes from. Is is Loke Dog is trying to like instill, give advice uh, to Ashtray, and it's just this rambling thing that basically ends with like, and don't be a menace to South Central while you're drinking your juice in the hood. And then yeah. Keenan Ivory pops up like, I don't know, I'm not, I don't even know what he's saying. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie um, a lot. Like watching it, I had only seen bits and pieces of it. I'm glad I watched the whole thing finally. Um, even if critics like to this day don't agree with that sentiment, <laughs> but <clears throat> whatever. Um, all right, number three on your list is probably the movie with the least amount of comedy. Um, yeah, but, so I'll explain that when we yeah. when we get to it. But but it still has comedy in it. I mean, like yeah. Uh, it's 1998's The Players Club. It's uh, Ice Cube's one and only directorial effort for film. It stars Lisa Ray McCoy, Bernie Mac, Monica Calhoun, Anthony Johnson, Ice Cube, Alex Thomas, Jamie Foxx, Tiny Lister, and John Amos. It has a 31% from critics and 85% from audiences. That is a little misleading, though, because so many there's only like 16 reviews in Rotten Tomatoes from critics. If you go back and look at top critics, which usually just takes the most, usually the contemporaneous reviews, it's resting at like 60% um, with positive reviews from both Ebert and uh, Gleiberman, um, oddly enough. So um, everybody gave it like either like a four out of five, like a three out of four, like, you know, um, right. that were given it positive reviews back then from critics. But so anyway, so um, tell us a little about this movie and um, why it's on the list. So don't or players club was one of our um tuesday night special movies so this was a movie that was released on a wednesday uh so we watched this movie the tuesday night before it came out because we watched every um tuesday night movie you know for the wednesday releases and i remember being completely surprised by how much i enjoyed this movie and how funny i thought particularly the bernie mac performance was somehow lost on me because i really don't remember being as dark as this movie ends up being Mm -hmm. um so the basic premise is that uh diamond is a this is what i was talking about with the um, historical black colleges like the father threatening Mm -hmm. to throw the girl out so in order to support herself through school she becomes a stripper at this local um strip club called the players club uh that's run by a i guess like caribbean expat named dollar bill um, played by Bernie Mac. Um, she's sort of tricked into, you find out later, like drugged and kind of raped by uh, um, one of the strippers who's a lesbian. Um, Roxy, is that right? I can't remember the character's name. Um, and then her, she, she earns a lot of money stripping and she's a popular stripper. And when her young cousin comes to live with her, she also gets into stripping. So Diamond is sort of able to maintain um, some level of, I guess, like moral high ground by not really dipping into like the drugs and the party lifestyle of the strippers. Whereas her younger cousin gets kind of sucked into that and, um, you know, with 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 tragic results. Um, so the funny parts of this movie are mostly from Bernie Mac. 
um, as Dollar Bill, who's just a ridiculous shyster character, but Bernie Mac's weird, like almost like inimitable um, delivery of this weird pastiche accent that he does, uh, particularly one uh, soliloquy early in the movie where he's talking about the origins of stripping, where the, you know, the, the white man went to Africa and saw all these beautiful black women walking around in the nude, bucket ass naked, titties, ass. You can see the public hairs. Um, so eventually, though, you know, there's a scene where uh, Dollar Bill is in debt to a gangster. Fuck, it's it's Brooklyn, KC, and St. Louis, right? St. Louis. So St. Louis is, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's in debt to a gangster named St. Louis right. who loaned him, I don't know, $60,000 to open the Players Club, and Bernie Mac has never paid him back. Uh, so the Charlie Murphy character, uh, Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. I can't remember who plays KC. Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard, right, are continuously trying to like catch up with with Dollar Bill to get the get their money back. Um, so that's one subplot is is Dollar Bill trying to stay away from these gangsters, um, and that's where most of the comedy comes from. Yeah, is kind of like absolutely. them trying to collect the money, um, and then Diamond trying to help save her cousin sort of from falling into that lifestyle um and ultimately being successful but there's some really dark themes in this movie so there's a couple attempted rapes um an implied rape and then an actual rape including like a really severe beating um there's the threat of violence Uh, there's a scene where uh luke from two live crew is in the players club and um, and their bra- brawl ends up breaking out where Ice Cube ends up pulling a gun and like shooting into the air. And um, Ice Cube is kind of this sort of surly, vindictive guy that ends up getting Diamond's cousin um, raped at a party at a uh, bachelor party for this, the brother of the uh, lesbian stripper that's also a rapist. Um, just some really uncomfortable, you know, like, very frank i guess explorations of like the sexual politics that could happen at a place like that i don't know how true to life any of that stuff is because i don't really know any strippers or anything but um it's definitely not like a light-hearted portrayal where it's like a joke you know i mean ice cube takes the source material seriously and definitely presents it in a serious manner so there's a lot of really really good dramatic performances in this kind of counterbalanced by, you know, this incredible performance by Bernie Mac and um, good performance by Jamie Foxx. Just, you know, another, another really good comedic scene. If we're talking about the comedy aspects of it, I think is with um, Amos and um, Fox. Um, No, not Amos. Um, Fuck. Who plays her father? Because Amos plays one of the, Oh right, it's uh John. Yeah, John Amos plays a corrupt cop. Yeah, um, um, I can't remember um who played, but he um, but when he's like uh threatening him with the gun, and like doing target practice out back, and like Jamie Foxx's reactions to that, and then um their date with him and Diamond, um after that before like while that rape is happening uh, simultaneously like being cut in, um but yeah that's um 
that's that's a really it's a really good early performance i think like by fox as that dj and and that kind of like love interest in the movie uh you can definitely see like him i guess at this point having come out of in living color for a few years and um but takes the comedy seriously and the comedy's not overdone nothing like that not outrageous and i i think you can see like talent in jimmy fox in this movie for the amount of screen time he gets which is what 10 minutes maybe 15 minutes yeah. something like that there's um another one of my favorite performances uh anthony johnson is little man who's the mm-hmm. um not bouncer but i guess like uh concierge of the club who's the guy that like lets the people in or whatever um really funny performance of a guy that's just continuously put upon by his loyalty to dollar bill even though dollar bill is like very disloyal to him in a lot of ways but um sort of protecting dollar bill from getting his comeuppance um until the point where dollar bill kind of shows his hand and refuses to help little man out and then um that's what ends up leading him leading to getting caught and then you know presumably killed off screen uh, which again a dark part of the movie i mean there's a point where kc and brooklyn throw him in the trunk of his own car and then leave him there because they have to pretend like the car's broken down and he's just there asleep like in the trunk uh which i i think is a really yeah, funny scene especially when amos and um who plays the other cop it's john amos and somebody else playing the cops um figure out that oh he's probably in the trunk of the car and go and get him and then arrest him it's a um, for, phase, phase on love who phase on love right, yep. much more popular later here <clears throat> so after this movie this movie has tons of people in it that like end up like later like becoming more prominent uh like michael clark duncan's in it terrence howard this is a really early role yeah. for him um tiny lister tiny lister's in this and this is is this is this one of two movies he's in on this list is he a third one no it's just two yeah uh, well even like you know anthony johnson like ends up appearing on the movie that we're going to talk about number one right yeah and uh, to me that's like something that is like telling as i like was looking through the cast of these movies is how many actors and actresses are repeated throughout all of these movies right particularly the male act male actors i should say but so we've talked about this on the podcast before but i kind of want to bring it up again because it's something that's i don't think has been talked about enough like over the past like 30 years so again this movie was a a wednesday release and one of the things that exhibitors were afraid that if they release a movie that appealed to a black audience on a friday that they're the ostensibly they would say that they wanted to kind of curb the threat of violence in theaters because in the early 90s there were some incidents where people got into you know fights or even like were killed over disagreements in movies and that actually that theater that i worked at in philadelphia um um riverfront uh 17 i guess so it is it's right off of columbus avenue in philly like as soon as you get into town into the city um one of the days one of the weeks that i was working there but i wasn't working somebody was shot in a theater like at night over a disagreement over a seat Mm-hmm. so exhibitors use the idea that like oh we have to you know protect our audiences like somehow releasing it two days earlier negates the threat of violence or whatever mm-hmm. um but in reality it was always driven by money so you know 
they were afraid that if they released a movie that appealed to black audiences and that black audiences came out in droves that it would keep you know the quote-unquote regular audience so white audiences away um and also i guess they wanted to release it on a day where it didn't have to compete against other movies so the idea being that you could never draw a crowd with a black audience where you could draw a crowd with like you know or you can never draw a, a crowd with a movie that appealed to a black audience like made by black creators or predominantly starring you know um black actors which is a super racist idea and then eventually what happened is things like um the medea movies particularly uh but also some other movies and like this movie not that this movie made a ton of money but they would release movies and they would do you know relatively well friday being a good example um although friday after next i'm pretty sure was released or next friday i'm pretty sure was released on a wednesday if I remember correctly. Um, but the Medea movies in particular um, really kind of push that idea that you don't have to shy away from releasing, you know, movies that appeal to a black audience on a Friday. And I guess it kind of went away from that eventually. And also because it's just a super racist ideology that somehow sure. those movies aren't as good or aren't as commercially viable. Um and they didn't market them really well. They always like shoved them in small theaters because it would always be, you know, we want to prevent violence. Like the less people we let get into this theater, the less chance there is, which is sure. ridiculous. Cause I, yeah. I, I think I said this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, like the movies that I always worried about were the PG 13 horror movies hmm. that were going to have like the teenage kids, like causing a ruckus and fighting with each other. Like I never worried about, the players club or sprung or how to be a player or you know booty call like those movies whatever like there was just an audience but you know you get the fog remake or something and i gotta like kick out two people trying to have sex in the theater and people right. trying to get drunk in the theater and people like jumping over seats and being idiots and i don't know just so that's my long-winded diatribe about like the inherent racism of exhibition like through the early 2000s well i think there's like a, and yeah i mean to kind of like tie into that to some degree is like the thing i realized in terms of like all these actors overlapping with one another is how small and insular the the black film community is in the sense of like who stars in these movies who makes right. these movies is because there was only so many people that were kind of allowed into the system you know, and we're getting roles yeah. anywhere to be able to prove themselves and be kind of like get into this like upper echelon. And it's shocking to me to see some of the names that are seeing these very small roles in the 90s that like go on to be like really like solid character actors right. or major actors like and and it just how much overlap there is between all of these like small roles like. Yeah, so I, I don't know, like if we'll ever be qualified to speak on this in general but basically what it caused is an underground industry of sort of low budget kind of guerrilla filmmaking so you had things like belly and baby boy and state property and shadas and snow on the bluff and um i'm trying to think of some other ones from like the later 90s early 2000s but these movies that came out and did great like box office for their budgets Mm -hmm. introduced he either had a lot of times rappers playing roles you know in the movies so like belly's like dmx and 
Nas and um and then those actors would go on to find you know fame and broader appeal in like more mainstream movies or studios would realize like how much money these movies made especially on um, video and dvd and that kind of just broke the floodgates and they realized because obviously money is the thing that motivates like everything pretty much in any industry but particularly in the movie industry um and especially an exhibition in the movie industry mm-hmm. um and so you you started to see more roles open for you know black actors right um and then it, it becomes a little less insular so it's not you know jamie fox and john amos and bernie mac and a wayans brother and like every single movie and then stuff mm-hmm. like white girls and whatever like little man i don't know yeah because for a long time unless you were really like eddie murphy um you weren't having a movie open like wide on a on a friday like you had to have like a real name and be something that was demonstrably palatable to a broad audience for them to take the chance of like opening a movie on a friday um if it was even considered at all to be centered around or appealing to like a black audience so yeah and you know one thing i will give murphy credit for having watched boomerang again a couple years ago um largely out of curiosity because friend of the podcast aiden boyer is a really big fan of that movie and i watched it again when it was free somewhere and i still not a great fan of that movie it's like okay and that's it but um but it's really it's it's really telling that like that movie got reviewed as bad as it did and because that is a largely black cast being released in a mainstream eddie murphy movie like i like there's hardly any white people in that movie and and it gets like these really negative reviews and it's like there's worse eddie murphy movies oh sure like you know and 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 i think a lot of it is largely that it's like an all-black cast like in 19 what 90 91 something like that um being released to mass audiences like uh, on friday nights and well yeah and i'm sorry finish your thoughts but but i was just going to follow up with just saying as i read a lot of the reviews on this stuff like i see I don't I don't have a lot of like things that I pulled from people like in terms of like criticism of these movies. I often don't do it with comedy anyway that much, but because it's just difference in taste. But it's not only difference in taste here. I if you go back and look at contemporaneous reviews of a lot of these movies, I see like just a lot of like not I don't know what the word for it is. It's not obvious racism. It's more of this embedded inherent racism. Well, sure. Of seeing yeah. something different, like and and not either not understanding it or just being turned off by certain aspects of it, like you know, like the violence and like those kind of things, but, and like, but it, but it, the violence even ends up being code for not just violence but black violence. You can just tell by like the tone of of the review sometimes, and yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of racism in some of some of these reviews, like. So I, I have I have two points to kind of support what you're saying. So 
first of all, we talked about um, what list was that on? We we talked about Sweet Sweetback's badass song, but mm-hmm. we we also talked about badass. That right? was the black exploitation. Um, no, that was that was a yeah. I can't remember what list that was on. Honestly, badass was docu was um, mockumentaries or whatever. Yeah, or yeah. fictional biopics, whatever we yeah, called yeah. it. Docudramas or something. Yeah, Sweet Sweet Sweetback's was on the black exploitation. So. Yes. You look at something like Badass, which kind of examines the making of this like seminal black exploitation movie. Right. That was the first wave of kind of proving, like, hey, there's a lot of money to be made by making a movie that appeals to a black audience. And twenty some years after Sweet Sweetbacks makes a ton of money for the people that exhibit it, and you're still having trouble getting, you know, projects made by like a like predominantly black cast or black creators into movie theaters and i mean it's mostly just because i mean again it's just it's it's an institutionalized racism or an inherent racism just in the idea that that's not a draw you know there's no money to be made there um but all these movies like were low budget and make money like they all were profitable And it really does take things like, I mean, because once, I don't know. So we talked about Fire Down Below on the Spin Chagrin a couple weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember Fire Down Below releasing on multiple screens and Glimmer Man releasing on multiple screens and Garbage Like Eraser, you know, being on like four screens when we first opened it. And how is that violence necessarily different from... And I understand that there's a real world element to some of these movies, especially the movies that are kind of like examinations of like gang culture or like drug culture or whatever, but it still is violence and it's no more inciting, I think, to see, you know, the violence in belly as it is to see the violence in something like, like Reservoir Dogs or, and I'm not really comparing those two movies, but there's a lot of similarity there just in terms of like tone and intent. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm where it's it's a fictionalized like story like it's a fictional account like that in some ways glorifies the criminal element but you don't walk out of reservoir dogs and like shoot somebody you know and uh, we had no like we we showed belly for i don't know like maybe a month when it came out and i don't remember a single incident in that theater but i remember two dudes getting in a fight in like um like the scorpion king movie you know what i mean right, so right i don't know i mean i wasn't gonna bring this up and this last thing i'll say and then we'll move on to the top two movies because they deserve time um th- there's a review by white critic um internet wise he's not like in the top critics but he's a consistent critic he's reviewed a lot of movies on his website efilm critic we've talked about him before scott weinberg he's come up before and this is the kind of like weird stuff that it's like this isn't racist whatsoever i don't i don't think um but he says about this movie throughout the whole movie there are random scenes that are truly bad and in one scene in particular i wondered what was ice cube trying to say when he has a room full of partying black guys nearly gang rape a small black girl at 18 certainly in a party situation you'd have at least one or two people whether white black green um whatever uh you who'd say hey guys come on now we can't really go ahead and gang rake some 
gang rape some girl here. Cube's portrayal of gang mentality is shockingly unrealistic, and the way it is presented seemingly for entertainment value is questionable at best. So just so everybody understands, this is a kind of like fucking bad take banal bullshit like ignorant bullshit that i ha- that i read on a consistent basis and i don't often like talk about all the time but it was enough for me to like sit there and look at that and go like man this is a really stupid fucking take um, well, you can you can immediately refute his entire premise <laughs> by talking about kitty genovese you know what i mean like mm-hmm. an act of violence can be consistently ignored by a large group if the large group decides en masse to ignore it, right? Right. Like, so the scene that he's describing in his fucking terrible, whatever, syntax is... Fuck, what is that character's name? So the the cousin has been brought by Ronnie, who's the kind of, like, lesbian, like, evil dead mother of the The cousin is Ebony, if that's... Ebony, right, Ebony. Sorry, I I don't know why I couldn't remember that. So Ebony's brought to this party under the pretense that she's going to be dancing with other girls. But when Ebony gets there, she's by herself. So she's very nervous. She doesn't want to be there. So Ronnie drugs her in order to get her to sort of like loosen up and and dance for these guys. Ice Cube's character, who's angry at being denied the ability to have a threesome with this woman, like a forced threesome while she was drunk on a previous night as revenge tells junior who's the person the man whose bachelor party it is that she was brought there to have sex with him and he should go in and have sex with her right so he does and when she resists he begins to beat her and then he rapes her and this is happening with the men outside at the door saying like saying specifically this is fucked up we should stop this and Ice Cube saying, nah, we just got to go. Like, we got to get out of here, mm-hmm. you know, and then basically convincing through their shame and guilt and unwillingness to get their friend in trouble and unwillingness to say and be an accessory to just get out and not mm-hmm. be a part of it. And mm-hmm. it's like, again, like you can read so many times there's stories. And I bring up Kitty Genovese because to me, that's like for our childhood, it's probably the most famous example of, um, right you know whatever like this this mindset of like a group of people ignoring a a murder in the case of kitty genovese but it's not outside the realm of possibility and to argue that it's like somehow a portrayal of like gang mentality i think is kind of a racist statement anyway even though maybe that's not his intent with that like phrase but Mm -hmm. i i don't know i think it's close enough to being kind of like an uncomfortable way to say it that probably shouldn't have said it like that yeah um but it's just dumb and it's like mm-hmm. it, it's it's racist in it's it's interpretation of what's happening because he's in my opinion implying that because these are black people that i don't know i, I don't know what he's trying to imply there but it's dumb yeah uh, but uh, yeah all i meant is that like there's the i agree with you i don't know what he's trying to say here i think it's unclear but there's this waff of something that like is just well definitely uninformed sure this kind of shit happens all the time first of all um where people don't step up and like stop these things from happening and like two it's like just the way it's described is like 
what are you what are you trying to what does he say what is ice cube trying to say like what are you trying to say here like is the question um so yeah it's like i've come across this stuff all the time i came upon it much more while looking at reviews of these movies much more um but anyway i don't want to prolong this oh so one one last thing before we move on to the next movie surprisingly mature and competent direction by ice Cube oh absolutely i'm director yep. um i think some really good directorial choices and a nice balance of you know the comedy elements with the darker elements to it um i i don't know why he never directed anything again like maybe this was just the one story he wanted yeah, to he's tell, done but, pilots um, and stuff for television like uh largely based off of like properties he's involved in like barbershop the series and that kind of stuff but um never done another theatrical release which is interesting because um no i thought this was really really competently done i so yeah except it's got my least favorite ice cube song of all time which is weeby clubbing <laughs> in it um so which i think was written for the soundtrack it, it was, was a successful soundtrack though overall yeah so. yay, yay. <laughs> anyway um, moving on yes number two on your list is 2015's dope it is directed by Rick Famuiwa, and it stars Shamik Moore, Tony Revolori, Kiersey Clemens, Kimberly Elise, Zoe Kravitz, and Lakeith Stanfield. It has an 88% from critics and an 83% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. You want to tell us a little about this movie and why it's on the list? Um, so to paraphrase you, when we were talking about these movies last week, uh, even though this is the one movie on this list that was made outside the 90s, it definitely feels like a 90s movie. Yeah. Um, so the film the film follows um, Malcolm, who lives in Inglewood, uh, has two friends, uh, Diggy and um, Jib. Um, they're nerds. Basically, they're all really smart, um, all really into 90s hip-hop and punk music and they don't really dress, I guess, like in the normal, like standard of the time. Um, they're all kind of obsessed with like nostalgia and they all kind of live this sort of life where they try to stay under the radar, but are drawing the ire of bullies and have kind of miserable school lives and very rich, like internal lives and lives with themselves. So, uh, as they're going home from school one day, um, Malcolm is noticed by uh, shit. Uh, Marquise, uh, who's played by um, Lakeith Stanfield, who's uh, is that right? Marquise, right? No, Marcus. Anyway, he's noticed by this drug dealer um, who sees him and kind of sees him riding on his huffy with his high high top fade and um, you know his retro clothes and calls him over and it's basically like why are you dressed like that and malcolm starts to give an answer about his love of hip-hop and how you know from what does he say from straight out of compton to the blueprint um is that is that character's name marquise is that right it's marquise yeah they call him bug like in the movie a lot so he says nah you know straight out of compton's what like 88 and the blueprints 2001 and then malcolm in his super like over explaining nerd way is like well you know they sort of bridge the gap between this album and this album <laughs> this album, this album. Mm-hmm. 
um which impresses marquise who likes the fact that malcolm smarton is kind of like standing up for himself so he gets him to sort of be a runner between himself and um the zoe kravitz character who's not a zoe kravitz character who's um fuck what basically becomes malcolm's love interest in the movie um that's lisa right lisa right and um Kimberly Elise plays that character yes so Malcolm and his friends get invited to Bug's birthday party where some gun violence breaks out and Bug hides um, several kilos of Molly in Malcolm's book bag along with uh, a Glock Um, and then the general story is how Malcolm is trying to get rid of these drugs to sort of get out from underneath um the much larger like drug lord um that the drugs belong to who happens to be malcolm's sponsor for harvard Mm -hmm. uh that they find he finds out like accidentally i guess right um so it's kind of a caper movie really but centered around this kid who's sheltered and shy and sort of like wilting in a lot of ways and showing his development and him building his strength and confidence through basically having to become a criminal to save himself and the lives of his friends and give himself the chance to, you know, go to Harvard, um, which he eventually succeeds at. Um, Another one of the movies. So one of the things I think is really interesting on this list, we don't really talk about this with CB4 so much, but every movie on this list has themes that are dark or that are very matter of fact, true to life, problems i guess or i don't know what you would call it but like spousal abuse and rape and drug abuse and gang culture um the scene prior to malcolm meeting bug the reason that he even goes down past where bug is is stationed selling drugs is because a group of crips is doing like a a stomping in video on the street and they can't drive past them mm-hmm. um and it's funny because like the way they film it like adds like a comedic element to it but it's also you know you feel bad for these kids who are just trying to come home from school and either have to drive past active gang violence or active criminal activity in order to get to their homes um but yeah i i think i don't really know the um shameek moore character that much i don't think or uh, actor that much but um great portrayal here as malcolm um, my favorite performance in the whole movie is uh Kiersey Kier- Clemens as um Diggs, his uh lesbian best friend. Um I love her performance in this movie. I think that it's yeah. understated, but also really has she has some amazing comedic timing. I-, I think all three of those characters play really well off each other and have really great comedic timing together. Um, and you really come to appreciate and like this group of kids and then their band the fake songs that they make up for their band are actually pretty good like i I found them to be really Mm -hmm. catchy um and i really enjoyed like those aspects of it and it's a feel-good story where the guy that deserves to succeed succeeds in the end but it's not pablum or um it doesn't pull any punches like it's a pretty harsh look i think it you know 
maybe exaggerated in some ways, but maybe not so much of like growing up as a kid and, you know, in that environment. Um, while still having like some really funny moments to it. The funniest moment in the movie is uh, so they're sent to see. Is it is it J.A. is what they call him or. Anyway, their bug gets arrested and calls um, Malcolm on his cell phone from jail. It basically says, look, you need to take the drugs that I left with you and you need to take them to the sky and he'll know what to do with them. It's AJ, AJ, I think. AJ, right. AJ. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the whole first part is like trying to escape this other drug dealer who's trying to kill them and take their drugs from and take the drugs from them. So when they get to AJ's house, AJ's teenage kids are there, which is a son and daughter. The son is this guy who's grown up in obvious luxury, but wants to be like from the hood. And the daughter who's um, a sexually adventurous, you know, drug user who basically tries to have sex with Malcolm, but then takes the Molly that she finds in this book bag and like trips really hard. So then Malcolm, because he needs to get to his interview for Harvard, has her drive him try to drive him high like over to the um the business he has to go to and she runs out of the car naked um and there's a really funny scene later that goes i guess it's like a viral video of her peeing in a bush for what does he say like an hour she peed there for an hour and i just wanted my coffee cake and (laughs) i had to watch watch her pee um really funny uh scenes um involved in that but yeah just a really good movie great performances amazing soundtrack both with the uh, the sort of like retro um oh, nostalgia yeah. it's, like vibe right, of like, it's like right up our alley like that soundtrack yeah. you know i mean it's but um, i what the world I is really, yours yeah oh yeah scenario humpty dance i know gets played um hip-hop hooray oh yeah that's that that's that's the opening of the movie right is hip-hop hooray like that's yeah. um yeah it's 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 a great soundtrack. And then again, like the Rebel Without a Pause isn't it? The fake. I don't know if they're fake. I don't know. I, I should have looked that up. Like where those songs come from that are in their band. Um Yeah, man. Oh my god. So the name of their band is Oreo, spelled A-W-R-E-E-O-H. Um Yeah, I guess that they were written for for the for the movie because mm. they're all credited to that band so i guess maybe they even played the instrument themselves but yeah you got the rebirth of slick the world is yours rebel without a pause scenario humpty dance hip-hop parade the gil scott heron song home is where the hatred is which is a really good scene um yeah just mm-hmm. it's it's got a really good feel to it a really good vibe well directed well acted um some good tension and some just incredibly like likable characters that you want to root for to see succeed. And a really funny scene with two white people discussing why it's not fair that they can't say the N-word. Yeah, that is a good scene. Yeah. And talking about what context is it appropriate for them to say the N-word. Right. And doesn't um, he call out Jib at some point? It's like, well, why can you say it? And because like Jib kind of presents more as like presents more as hispanic like in terms of like his looks kind of and oh, like, no, he's he um he's arabic yeah but like he he explains it to him right like it's like why he yeah, can say 
right because my family comes from africa right right yeah um yeah i'm pretty sure um Revelory is maybe Guatemala or something like that, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. I up. Um, but yeah, yeah but and Diggy, Diggy hitting. Um, I can't remember that character's name. I can't remember yeah. the character's name. But he's yeah. the he's the the white hippie drug dealer slash like like a non. Um, well, and it's a funny scene because it's like you know Jib and Jib and Malcolm are just like whatever I don't care what I'm saying <laughs> like um it's, but like you know um Diggy is just like no no I'm gonna no, hit no, you no every time you right, say it right uh, yeah so that and that all leads to yeah. a scene at a party where these two are discussing and they're like what if you're in the context of a song and it's the next word in the song <laughs> right. what am I supposed to say something something n word something that sounds stupid and he's like right we're just honoring the music but um yeah really really funny movie really well done i was actually turned on to this movie by um friend of the podcast uh, aiden boyer who hmm. saw it one day um prior to us coming to the bar he had just decided to go and like see the movie and really like effusive praise on it and it made me want to watch it and i um i was really impressed when i saw it so yeah definitely recommended um I think that well worth a watch and Clemens would probably, I guess, be best known because I really liked her a lot in this movie, but uh, she's probably best known for um, the terrible sequence in Zack Snyder's Justice League where Flash like rescues Iris. Um, she plays Iris in that movie. Um, terrible, terrible sequence. She's um, in a movie right now on Netflix. Yeah. Am I okay? I think is what it's called. No, that's not it. She is in that movie though. There's there's a movie that she's on on Netflix yeah. that I looked up. I also want to point out um that what Austin Jacoby, the AJ character, the father of of those two. Um and I, I swear, I can't remember how to pronounce his name, but it's I think I'm pretty sure it's uh Roger Gwenver Smith. And he is a guy who is most notable for being in so many like a ton uh, like most Spike Lee movies, at least in a small role and stuff like that. But he was also in Oz, um, mm. that he's notable for. And he is um he's a guy that like kind of comes in it's just one of these underrated guys that just comes in and just like whether he has like one line or you know 20 he just comes in and just kind of like nails every role that he does um no matter the size he never gets like big roles but it's like um he's really good in oz he's really good in get on the bus like yeah uh, and Um, he's a guy that like just like through his life just doesn't get recognized enough to me as like this like great little character actor and I really enjoyed him um, when I see him on screen but yeah I really enjoy this movie I love the music in it I love I don't like coming of age stories often thought it was a great coming of age story um, love the performances from these young performers uh, throughout uh, nice to see Rick Fox doing something again <laughs> i haven't seen rick fox in a bit mm-hmm. um, um 
Sorry. The movie, the movie that I was talking about on Netflix, uh, the Kiersey Clemens movie, is called Sweetheart, um, and it's really good and it's worth watching. So. Oh yeah, okay. What genre is that? Thriller. Okay. Horror, horror thriller. I don't know. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I thought it was good. I hadn't, I, I didn't know anything about it. Like going in is like one of these things. I just was like, okay, it's on the list. I'm just going to go in blind completely um nice yeah and, I, I was i was like it. it when you see a movie for the first time and then you enjoy it yeah so i so yeah and i thought it was really well directed too i i'm not yes. familiar with uh famaki oh shit i have to go back to my broken down famuiwa um I'm not familiar with him much um and honestly i didn't i didn't even think to look him up but um the wood i i mm-hmm. remember that movie i've never seen it that's another coming of age movie but brown sugar is romantic comedy okay talk the wood was um the wood was another wednesday movie that um that i enjoyed oh i have seen part of talk to me that's the cheeto and igf 4 movie uh, i saw part of that on um hbo back in the day but never watched the full thing our following wedding i have no idea okay um so yeah, and then dope. So he's only done five movies over the course of like twenty years or so, but that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> that's always oh, that's why I know his name. He directed a bunch of episodes of the damn Mandalorian. Mm, yep, there he is. Okay, that's why I was so familiar with his name. Gotcha. But yeah, this is a really really good movie. Um, I agree with you. All right. So number one on your list at this point, if like you haven't had like 20 clues like to get this like throughout the podcast, if you're paying attention, um, is 1995's Friday. It is directed by F. Gary Gray. It stars Ice Cube, Chris Tucker, Nia Long, Tiny Lister, John Witherspoon, and countless others. Has 78% from critics, 91% from audiences. Um give us I, I assume like a brief recap of this movie and um and then we can talk about why it's number one on your list so a movie that almost ended up on the um story of a day podcast oh hmm. um one of my favorite comedies of all time uh friday is just basically the story of a friday from midnight to midnight basically uh craig lives in compton or inglewood i guess is where they live in no compton right is where they live then um he gets fired from his job for being accused of theft because the back of the guy's head kind of looked like craig's you find out um and just sort of going through his day hanging out with his best friend Smokey, who's played by um fuck it's just like chris tucker? Th- yeah chris tucker i'm sorry mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, man, I love Chris Tucker in this movie when I was watching this the other day, and I'm not a big Chris Tucker fan, but uh, he's pretty pretty perfect as Smokey. Uh, so Chris Tucker just wants to get Craig high, so he forgets about his troubles. Craig just kind of wants to chill and not get high and sort of get through the day. Um, they're sort of beset continuously through the day by these different characters that live in their neighborhood that come and go. Um, so there's... Uh, Big Worm, who's the local drug dealer that Smokey has procured drug marijuana from to sell and then has proceeded to smoke all the marijuana so he doesn't have the money to pay Big Worm back. 
uh, Debo, who's um, the tiny Lister character, who's the local bully that's always coming around and taking things from people, including a uh, bicycle and a chain from this one character. Um, I can't remember that character's name. Um, Felicia, who's kind of a local, I don't know. She's not like a drug addict, right? Maybe she's a drug addict. She's drug addict. Yeah, pretty sure. Um, who's sleeping with Debo, I guess, just for, I don't even know why she's sleeping with Debo, but she's having sex with Debo. Cause that I think the implication is just, she sleeps with a lot of people probably because she's yeah. a drug addict. Yeah. The um the genesis of the uh, by Felicia mm-hmm. um meme comes from this mm-hmm. um it in a lot of ways I don't I don't want to say this because then it makes me have to admit that this movie has some value but in a lot of ways it's sort of similar to something like Smoke or Blue in the Face um <laughs> where it's there's a definite narrative to the movie in the sense that it's about Craig and Smokey's day or really just Craig's day more than anything, but, but Craig and Smokey's day, but having these different characters where you learn so much backstory about pretty much everyone in the movie that matters through these interactions that just kind of come and go. And, you know, it's almost like, like languorous in that respect, mm-hmm. because there's not like a really firm plot with the exception of, they don't want to get killed by Big Worm and his men for not paying back the money. Um, you know, but just these really, like, funny incidents that happen. Shortcuts is another good example of something that, like, it's very similar to in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, but really funny, really well done. Um, some incredibly memorable lines and sequences, like, again, like, by Felicia, you got knocked the fuck out. Um how you how you get fired on your day off like things that people say like constantly still in real world settings have come from this movie sure um and is also in a lot of ways like another kind of coming of age story in the sense that craig learns to stand up for himself and do so without resorting to gun violence which you know is the central point that you don't have to whatever like be strapped that you can still be a man and not carry a gun and do what's right and protect the people that you care about when craig um beats the shit out of debo at the end of the movie um which is one of the more satisfying scenes in i think any movie in the 90s sure is debo getting his comeuppance agreed um and particularly for me because i was so afraid not not afraid but so like intimidated by the idea of zeus um (laughs) which is tiny lister's like the first role that he, I was familiar with, right? Seeing him in um, No Holds Barred slash uh, SummerSlam, what is that, 92 or something 89. like that? 89. Yeah. Um, incredibly funny cameo from Bernie Mac in this movie yeah. as a preacher um, who's caught having sex with what is his name, Miss, Miss Johnson or something like that, this busty. I think it's Mrs. I think it's Parker. Parker, right. yeah, that might be right. This this busty, short, short wearing woman from the neighborhood, um, who's married to a little person. Um, and Bernie Mac's pastor character goes in and oh, he? I I can pray with her. That's <laughs> right. Yes. Um, but again, all this stuff is seen from the perch of the front porch of Craig's family home as him and Smokey kind of watch these events transpire and 
interact with and you know uh, um fuck do the right thing is another good a good example of something very similar in the sense of like the events of a single day transpiring like through mm-hmm. the course of weaving mm-hmm. in and out of like people's lives so yeah really well done really funny um i think i don't know if f gary gray is underrated but i think that maybe he doesn't get quite the um the credit he deserves um but friday is 100 i think a classic of modern comedy and one of my favorite comedies of all time and i think one of the more rewatchable movies just something you can put on and watch and enjoy and it's always going to make you laugh a few times and but again there's and like we were talking about i mean the players club is like overridingly like dramatic in some ways but even with things like dope and cb4 like there's some some dark elements to this movie you know there's Mm -hmm. the idea of i mean this whole thing is that debo beats up felicia because Smokey broke into felicia's house and went through debo's pants and Debo immediately blamed her. Um, guys, so <laughs> the scene in this movie that makes me laugh the most is <laughs> Smokey getting locked out of his house when he has to take a shit <laughs> and taking a shit in the bushes. Mm-hmm. And um, fuck, what is that character's name? Uh, e- e- Easel? Right? Yeah, that's uh, Anthony Johnson. Is- is- yeah. Ezeal, the Anthony Johnson uh-huh. character, yeah. yeah. Like catching him and Smokey mm-hmm. like, Hazel, don't say nothing about this. Right. Oh, I won't. I won't. Right. Yo, Smokey, take your shit <laughs> in the bushes. Yes. Awesome. Oh, so funny, yeah. man. Yeah, I was I was shocked by how well this movie. I have not seen this movie probably since 1997, honestly. Um, and I I was shocked by how well this movie held up. Um, held up extremely well, considering like the distance between then and now to me. And and ultimately like really i don't know like besides just funny and just fun to watch like really positive overall yeah like in terms of like showing love for the place that you live despite all of its flaws and i i just i i really enjoyed watching this again um i have a few things i want to like ask you and talk about but um but yeah, but um, but that yeah, that's that's so, ultimately what I have to say about it. So listen to F. Gary Gray's music video. Oh, that was one of the things I was going to bring up to you. Filmography, because yeah. uh-huh. that's. Yep. I was looking at his, his actual filmography, and I realized that I'm not a huge fan of like half yeah. of his movies. Sure. But he did set it off, which I think is really good. Uh-huh. He did the Negotiator, um, fine. the Italian yeah. Job, which is fine. Yeah. It just is what it is. A Man Apart, which is fine. Um, I've never seen that, but be, be cool, cool, which is I terrible. Like. Yeah, law-abiding citizen, which is low-key, like I think a really fun movie. Um, that's the uh, okay. that, that was Fox and um, Butler. Uh, fucking yeah, Gerard Butler. Thank yeah. you. I was gonna say the goddamn Gladiator. Um, straight out of Compton, which you already said that we hated. Yeah, straight out of Compton was terrible. I don't. I've never. I don't know Sea of Trees. Um, I don't watch that. Actually, oh, he just produced that. Okay, yeah. So anyway, so so this videography, it was a yeah. good day. Mm-hmm. I ain't going out like that. Mm-hmm. When the shit goes down, fantastic voyage, voyage right. natural born killers, mm-hmm. um, southern playalistic Cadillac music, mm-hmm. um, keep their heads ringing, right? 
uh, Waterfalls. Waterfalls, right? I mean, this dude fucking directed Waterfalls. Like, come on. Fucking Miss Jackson, which is one of my favorite videos of the 2000s. Um, and then he kind of stops. Like he did yeah. Super High by Rick Ross, which I'm not familiar, and Show Me What You Got by Jay Z, right. which I'm not familiar well, with. Well, he's but, um, more into movies by that point, you know. I mean, yeah. but yeah. fucking Miss Jackson, though. So here's so this is my question. Like looking at this list, is Friday is maybe one of the more influential comedies of the 1990s. Yes. Not even just from like 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 black comedies but just in general yes. like the amount of cultural pervasiveness that has come from friday that this man is responsible for and he's directed music videos for the better part of like two decades you know i mean yeah. i don't know it's just yeah. yeah i mean when does he get a franchise eventually after like a number of good movies and all those music videos he gets a franchise in because I don't consider it be cool franchise. So he gets a franchise in 2017. Yeah. 22 years after he directed this movie. And here's the thing. A $3.5 million budget, it made $27 million at the box office. Like, in mm-hmm. $1995, that is a sure. huge fucking success. Sure. Well, Players Club was, like, I thought it was it's $5 million budget, $23.3 yeah. million. You know? I mean, that's a good damn return on something that you say gets released on Tuesdays. Wednesdays. Yeah. We watched Wednesday, them on sorry. Tuesdays because gotcha. okay. watched them the night before. Sorry. Tuesday treats. Um, so what are your questions? Okay, so I, I think this is I think this is the time we have to call talk about Chris Tucker a little bit. Okay. I I just don't know when else we talk about him. Like well, no time career. like the present. Um that's one of the main things is that Chris Tucker is helped. Uh, this is the first time I saw Chris Tucker, obviously. I think, like, most people probably of that time period. I thought Chris Tucker was, and the shtick was hilarious. I still think it's funny to this day. Like, that character and that shtick. Um, You got a ghost on you over there? (laughs) No, I think it's my ice maker, but it's fine. Just keep going. Um, So... I, th- I thought I still think the shtick's funny. The shtick wears itself out at some point. And I think he's funny in this. I think he's funny in the Jackie, like the small Jackie Brown role, which obviously mm-hmm. I think Tarantino cast him based on probably like the shtick, like in this to some degree. Um, I think it's funny in the first Rush Hour movie. Maybe even at times funny in the second Rush Hour movie, but it, obviously it wears out as welcome. But this is like the purest. And look, I think he's funny in that like very like small role that he has in Fifth Element as well. I know you don't like that movie, but um, oh, he's fine. He's fine, and I just hate the movie. Yeah. So, but like at some point, like it all wears itself out. I think he wears himself out, and um, I um. So yeah, I I. I but yeah so what i want to basically ask you is like what ultimately do you think of um chris tucker's career i I think he's really funny for the most part um i get the i guess he's sort of like i don't know if we're out as welcome is the right term but he kind of ground that one character 
much past, I think, its expiration date within the three Rush Hour movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and really hasn't done anything since in terms of films. Since Silver Lining Playbook and um, some other thing I haven't seen. Um, I don't know. Here's a guy that, especially in this movie, but you know, some other movies too, like you brought up um, Jackie Brown, that I think that even though it's brief, it's really good in. Mm-hmm. I think he's really good in Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. This character is one of the most no perfect characters where it makes you laugh and it's obviously a caricature but it's not um there's a depth in humanity yeah it's it's it yeah exactly it's not without humanity Mm -hmm. um and it's funny and like his his delivery is impeccable i think in this movie Uh, his mannerisms and facial expressions and you know like imitating michael jackson's dancing and shit like there's there's a bunch of really great stuff that chris tucker does in this movie and i wonder sometimes if maybe you know you make hundreds of millions of dollars starring in three films maybe you don't feel like you got to do that much anymore so yeah and i i don't want to like he i know he left to some degree because it seemed like mental health issues like he kind of just like dropped out like plus he had money so what does it matter um but long term it's like he's one i mean sad to say he's like one of the ones that get mentioned often that was you know rode on epstein planes you know i mean and oh yeah yeah and um so yeah i mean he's he's a really funny guy like in that shtick i don't know how much there is beyond that shtick like i think tarantino was able to pull something out of him i think this movie obviously was able to pull something out of him and it's like i want to say this like i thought money talks was okay when i was like 17 years old but i think i was still into the shtick a little bit yeah i mean i have not seen that movie in yeah i thought about I, i i actually i think hit play like two years ago like when i was super fucking depressed like you know just being home like um like during the beginning and like got five minutes in and just couldn't do it because i don't know if i could do charlie sheen honestly more than anymore but um like i just don't think i have anything to do want to have anything to do with that guy like i just don't think he's like that funny most of the time um but um but yeah i i think this is like pitch perfect role by yeah. chris tucker um and i think he's i think as fine as ice cube is as a straight guy in this as good as he is as a straight guy i think like chris tucker just steals this movie like so here's maybe an unpopular opinion mm-hmm. i don't think ice cube's a good actor i think he's pretty much one note and mm-hmm. i think that craig is that one note yeah and i think that this move i i think his performance is made so much better in I- this movie by the supporting cast yeah based on love again is big worm like you know like um <laughs> fucking hilarious yeah um big worm's a hilarious character um oh the um the two essays like the yeah the um hispanic dudes that make yes. uh get get smoky to smoke angel dust and he yes <laughs> running down the street in his underwear and he's never gonna fuck with them again because they right Oh, hilarious scene yeah. yeah that's that's a really funny okay scene. so my other question for you is this is like okay you have to pick you have to pick a black 
father as like a character actor is it amos or is it witherspoon both of them famous for like playing black fathers is it like to be my father or what's your question here? okay so sure let's go with that interpretation first <laughs> i mean probably witherspoon i think mm-hmm. i was thinking john amos is like threatened like he's either on the verge of a heart attack or like punching or in the mouth right he's gonna like whip you with a belt or something right yeah. um witherspoon takes some massive dumps though apparently so i don't know <laughs> um i think it depends on the role and the circumstance but um prob- yeah. probably witherspoon yeah yeah i i always really enjoy witherspoon every time i see him on screen like i i i think he's i think he's really funny like every single time like without fail did you ever remember i i think it was this movie that i accused like that i tried to like accuse you of like being obsessed with Nia Long, and you were like no it's not Nia Long. did you ever remember who it is like the black actress that you like are completely in love with did this no i have no idea you don't know okay Mm-mm. okay i so- mean okay oh, go ahead <laughs> So we were at work today. I'm I'm, I'm gonna tell an anecdote just to kind oh, of God. like illustrate your point. We were at work today, and we're in this lady's office, and she has a candy jar. And um, there was a younger female employee in that office, and then this lady who's my age, and then myself. And we were having a very serious conversation, but somehow it turned to like the candy in the candy jar. And the young lady pulls out a Hershey's special dark and says, oh, dark chocolate. And she looks and she's like, Frank, I bet I bet you really like dark chocolate, don't you? And I wanted to say, like, you have no idea. But, um, yeah, so I do like and that's I, a true story. That is true I do story. like the dark chocolate. Yes. And then Holly, well, the, the lady whose office it was, was like, after the other woman left, like, started laughing really hard. She was like, I wanted to say something so bad, but, <laughs> um, I mean, I think Neil Long is really pretty, but she's not my, uh, yeah. Man, yeah, I, I can't remember who it is. Yeah, I wish I could remember who it is. There is a 90s, 2000s actress that you were completely in love with for a while. Um, all right. So, follow up the chris tucker thing that i forgot because again i didn't write these down um chris rock and tommy davidson were considered for the role of Smokey at one point thoughts i'm more of a fan of chris rock than tommy davidson i think but um i mean for for that role but i don't no i don't know I, I, I think Chris I think Chris Rock has too much kinetic facial energy where he doesn't seem like some dude that would just be high all the time. Whereas yeah, Chris Tucker perfectly captures that heavy lidded like mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. Yep. Um damn it. What's going to ask you? Okay, I can't remember. Never mind. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, the long-term standing of this movie is um oh Tiny Lister. I want to talk to you about Tiny Lister. You you already mentioned like, you know, like you caught him Zeus at one point and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. 
is tiny lister is now like slowly after like this list like with adding two more movies i think is like grown to five movies that tiny lister may maybe has been on like on the podcast total so far potentially um tiny lister has been in like fucking 200 movies uh so and i think there's a possibility a couple more like eventually like at some point like in the future so like i just wanted to like inform you and keep you up to date on the list of what's your boy's name you know what his name is actually i can't remember like it's david warner stuff david warner. <laughs> and and gene hackman are like the the ones that are like running like kind of like neck and neck and warner has the advantage right now because you just keep putting david warner movies on on the list but um Hack, hackman hackman's hackman will come back up at some point and um but lister is like this guy that is like in the background like just just gaining just due to his character actor status and how many movies he's been in so it'll be interesting to see like you know long term like um how all this shit plays out like over time um is it tony braxton do you think i don't remember tony braxton you like Tony Braxton? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, Tony Braxton's very attractive. Yes. Um, I, I I don't think that was it though. No, I'm pretty sure it was an actress as opposed to a singer. But from the '90s, you think, or just yeah. in general? I, I, think, I think it was somebody that was like popular in the '90s, 2000s at some point. Like was act more active during that time period. I mean, I'm not confusing like by race not confusing Nia Long and Nia Peebles right like no okay. I do like Nia Peebles though but yeah but that's not the one okay all right. yeah there there were some actors I don't know but anyway Friday if you have if you've never seen it before I think it's still an amazing movie yeah. I think it still holds up like to this day for a first watch if you haven't seen it in a long time I would definitely rewatch it again. I think it still holds up on a rewatch. Um, it's pivotal. I, I agree with you. Like, and this is the movie that we referenced last week that like would have been on your top five movies of the nineties list. And I know you ended up ranking them by the end. Where do you think Friday would fall? Like probably like on that list of your top nineties comedies. I knew I wanted to ask Maybe you number one or number two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Is um, it Megan good? No. She's no. pretty attractive. <laughs> um yeah, we'll Andy continue. Newton? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> She's very attractive. Lisa Bonet. I I love Lisa yeah. Bonet. Um sorry, we'll, I'm we'll, we'll at... talk we'll talk about her one day whatever day we come upon angel heart we'll we'll talk about her um in detail and i just googled um, black actresses and i'm um right and we'll talk about it lisa bonet during angel heart and um we'll talk about cosby and we'll talk about all kinds of stuff and we'll talk about hypocrisy when are we talking about angel heart not someday right top five top five voodoo movies sure I can well, we've already talked we, we've already talked about two voodoo movies i think already haven't we there's so many we're always sure, but um, where were I they? Really, the serpent I and the rainbow, Angel. and what was uh, the other one? 
There's not, a, there's not another one? Serpent in the Rainbow. There's not another one after that? That we talked about at some point that's voodoo? Whatever. Okay, doesn't matter. Listen. Matters to me. I watched I watched Angel Heart last year um, for the first time since like 1991, and I really like Angel Heart a lot. Um, I don't know how you feel about that movie, but I I really enjoyed it. Like as like a horror. Angel Heart's a really good um, slow burn uh, yeah. horror thriller. Yeah, I I yeah I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. So Angel Heart is. Um... I don't want to say unfairly maligned, but it's definitely, I don't think, appreciated as much as it should be. Um, I think mostly because of Lisa Bonet. Really? Yeah. I Well, because at the time there was a lot of like... You don't think it's because of like the Mickey Rourke rep- reputation now? Like, I mean... No, I really think it's because she, she gets naked in that movie. and And because Cosby was an asshole? about yeah well you know i think there was a lot of like that fucking pearl clutching hand wringing puritanical american bullshit where like Mm. god forbid somebody take their clothes off you know and so that's really what was focused on and people didn't really talk about how good that movie was and when you would like when i was young and people would bring up that movie that's all they ever talked about so yeah but angel heart is definitely low-key like a pretty fantastic movie so yeah <laughs> just looking at angel heart pro taylor vincent vince has a has a role in that and he's he like tiny lister he's he's another like low-key dude that can like slowly like rise his way up if you look at his filmography um like just playing all kinds of different roles like big and small so well my friend there's only one david warner that's all i gotta say we'll see there's two david warners i mean subjectively there's only oh see does like things like the spin chagrin count because it's like ancillary podcasts don't count for anything because otherwise Fuck. all right Nick i'm is... just saying Pruita- well that's true who's, that's who's ever true. gonna catch that that's true. like you know that's true but does the spin chagrin count because it is diff- it's no, different. No, it's an ancillary podcast. It's only the normal <laughs> podcast. All right, fine. All right. If the spin chagrin counted, it'd be like fucking Chuck Norris or Larry the Cable Guy or something would end up being number one. <laughs> okay. I don't put those two in the same category. I'm just saying, like, that right. those are good examples. Yeah. Because um, I was going to say, like, he's in, like, drive angry and like you know, he's all kinds of shit like he's so in fucking he, Nick Cage <laughs> um <clears throat> fine we'll make that rule um I'll get JFK on a list someday <laughs> you ain't ne- you know I really enjoy JFK that's all I'm gonna say <laughs> fuck you <laughs> <laughs> seeing through my ploys it's only because you had the piss and you weren't drinking enough whiskey that you didn't see that you um you missed that um i know actually you you like jfk overall sincerely though right like as i think jfk is a little over long but i think it's a really good movie yeah right jfk is not something that i would ever rush out and watch again but i would watch it again and i genuinely enjoy it so I'm going to make you do a list someday of 
movies about assassinated president or at least attempted assassinations of presidents and in 2026 and um and then jfk will make a list so that's all i'm saying find a way to did you ever watch um jesus will show you the way to the highway dude i got like a halfway through that movie i couldn't do it i couldn't finish it oh man i love that movie so much Ugh. Jesus Christ. Like I there's things I found funny in it, but it was just exhausting. It was uh, it was it was downright exhausting. Well, that movie will qualify for the list that you just said, so keep that in mind when you want to That's fine. I'll watch it then. It's only like in 90 90, minutes 90 minutes, right? Right. But it was just like it's a it's an exhausting watch, man. Like that it's legitimately one of my favorite movies that I've seen for the first time um in the past year. Yeah. I genuinely love that movie, and I love the other movie that he did, um, Crumbs. Okay, I just want to I just want to wrap this all up by asking one more caveat to if it's on a primary podcast or a supplementary podcast. If somebody appears in a movie that we end up talking about on a primary podcast that is not an actual movie that you pick, does it count? Like so. Let's say somebody like is in Natural Born Killers in 1994 and we talk about Natural Born Killers for a while in a podcast in a month from now. Does that count towards? But Natural Born Killers isn't on the actual list that's created? Yes. Oh, no, of course it doesn't count. They got to be on a list. Okay. All right. All right. Why? Who's the Natural Born Killers? Robert Downey Jr.? Pruitt Taylor Vince. (laughs) Um, That's, dude. All I. Why do you hate David Warner so much? I don't That's, hate. Yeah, don't you hate. do. You, 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 you got you. You're, you're a bigot, man. I just don't think he's as impressive as you as you think he is. You don't like you don't like his narrow English face. <laughs> I think that's true. I don't. You, he's he's you, he's he is he has a heels face. He is a he right. A he's always heel. playing a heel. Sometimes he's not though. Man, most of the time he's the bad dude. Sometimes he's a tweener, um, or sometimes he's a baby face. He and looks like a guy that would try and slip a quaalude in someone's Tom Collins at like the disco bar in London in 1976. Like that's that's what right. David Warner looks right. like. Right? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good description. All right. So next week we are back. Top five horror movies of 1971. Yeah. Um gone back probably david warner's in a fucking movie on that list who knows um six thank you for listening everybody um thank you for all the downloads recently and yeah seriously that's much appreciated deuces